podcast ain't played nobody. I wanna I wanna start the show with a PSA. Okay. Um, for those of you who grew up um, in the eighties and nineties, public service announcement: the more you know, a little star wipe comes across from your friends at NBC. Don't do drugs. Don't text and drive. Uh, we need to talk about when keeping it SEC goes wrong. This is a huge problem where I live. And really one of the marks against you being an SEC person now is because I don't know if the culture in Missouri is blended enough with other fan bases. It's just y'all for the most part. I know you live in Columbia, but I don't know if the following story would take place in St. Louis, right? How often are you running across other SEC grads? Um, I see a lot of like... I see a lot of bumper stickers. I see some Arkansas bumper stickers and some Kentucky bunk bumper stickers and uh, you know stuff like that. But yeah, I'm in. I'm in the. I, I am in Columbia. I'm not in St. Louis. I try to not right, be in St. In, Louis as much as is, possible. You're, you're in the SEC hinterlands. Sure. I am not. I am in the the beating heart of the Southeastern Conference. I, I would argue between us and Atlanta, there's no more diverse collection of SEC graduates and fans than between Nashville and Atlanta. Yeah, I, I would see that. Yeah. I go to a rock concert last week where the rock music was played. Um, White Snake, now, Poison. God, I would, that would have been great. Striper. Um, one thing I should point out right up front is that I have been with my wife since 2007. She was my girlfriend, and then I married her in 2010. Um, I have never gone to a concert that she has picked. And what I, I want to be very yeah. clear about this right up front. What, is, what has happened in this amount of time, one is we don't go to a lot of concerts anymore because we got old and had babies, okay, and also Netflix. Two, we share a, a pretty – our Venn diagrams are, are, are pretty covered in terms of the, the music that we like together. Um, so it's just so happened we're not a, a huge concert-going kind of couple, right? Um she went to Bonnaroo one year with her brother and sister. I abstained as like that kind of environment and the inability to leave the environment for days at a time gives me the, the, the hives unless I could bring like a weapon with me to survive. Um, but by and large, when we go to a concert, it's either a band we both like or it's a band I've sort of cajoled her into. The poor woman, I'll put it this way, has seen like bands like the Afghan Wigs live multiple mm. times, um, which is just all kinds of me. Um, or we go see something when we like together. Last Friday night, she there's a band she likes that I was pretty much unfamiliar with. And we went to go see him at the Ryman Auditorium here in Nashville. One of the greatest music venues in the world. I was about to say, no matter who it is, it, it, Correct. Sounded, it sounded great, I'm assuming. Well, one of the things is if you ever get a chance to see any band at the Ryman go, it will be the best show of their lives because they often talk about that. Every time I go to the Ryman, and I don't care who, I don't care if it's like, the grumpiest incarnation of Jeff Tweedy and Wilco or whatever, everyone remarks about being at the Ryman. So it's great. So we go to the Ryman. We see a band called St. Paul and the Broken Bones. I'm not entirely familiar with this outfit. Okay. Um, I think I, I knew, I knew of a single that had been on the radio, whatever. Again, very, very, very far detached as, as, as the youths in our program at SB nation can tell you, I openly solicit for Spotify playlists from, from our younger staff writers because i used to be that guy i used to be the pitchfork guy i used to be the guy who had a lifetime subscription to no depression magazine and got into all that stuff and indie bands and just so far away from that now so we go see this band and that's fine whatever the band's from birmingham and this story has a point and this is where keeping an sec goes wrong there are times in your life bill where you just don't need to bring that shit up okay we go to see this band they are from birmingham alabama all right we are in nashville tennessee 
as much as you and I both kind of make fun of the third Saturday in October, it's real. It's real, Bill. Sure. Still exists, okay? Yeah. All right, we go to this event. There's some opening band. I don't know I, I don't know their name. I don't know anything about it. There's a very tall, very um soft-voiced female vocalist, red hair. Um I don't know. Kind of shoegaze, emo kind of deal. I do not know there's like the name was like the porcelain paisley connection. I don't know, whatever. So she's doing her bit. It's great. Got beer. Feeling it, right? I like going to concerts now because it's rude to look at your phone so you get to actually detach from the digital. It's very nice. Get into the mode. Um, they're like three, four songs in and she does the thing like we're whatever. I don't know what it's called. Jewel Coaster or whatever the shit from Los Angeles, California. Blah, 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 blah. We're so excited to be here. Okay, whatever. And then she goes, but I am actually from... And she says it in this very meek voice. She's like, I'm actually, um, I'm from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I don't know if anyone is is from Little Rock here. And instantly my brain looks down. I'm in the balcony. I look down. I see a giant composite of people that have come from Birmingham of a certain age, of a certain income, of a certain race to watch St. Paul and the Broken Bones. And I know what's about to happen. This poor gal has been clued into the fact that this is college football country, and I can see this happening in slow motion like an 80s action movie where I'm trying to jump on the bomb, okay? Except I can't do anything because I'm like 20 rows up in the balcony. We got like these last-minute tickets. She says, well, I'm originally from Little Rock, Arkansas, so – and she puts her hands out and does her little fingers, and she she does Woo Pig Suey. And I'm like – she Woo Pig Suey, and I'm like – and the whole time I'm like, girl! No, don't do this. Not because I have anything against Arkansas, okay? But because I know what's about to happen. This completely normal, neutral, happy to be out on a Friday night crowd. You know, a lot of people above the age of 40. A lot of people in this crowd. But also a decent amount of 20 and 30-something SEC grads, all right? It's a very white crowd, obviously. So you know what happens, Bill. This girl has been playing lovely songs for like four or five songs, like I don't know, 20, 20-ish minutes at this point, right? She does Woo Pig Suey, and everyone up until this point has been very respectful and very nice. It's like one of those concerts where you look around, Bill, and you're like, why are the cops here? You know how there's always a cop walking around? Right. You're like, security? I'm like, nothing's going to happen. I can beat everybody's ass here, right? I'm fine. This is fine. Sure enough, man, they're about 13, 14 rows up on the floor. I, I just bird dog this guy instantly, and he screams out. Now, keep in mind, like, it's a low vibe, right? It's a low NPR voice vibe. She's like, she does a whooping suey, and I just hear, fucking roll tide, bitch, as loud as, I, as loud as you can imagine over this soft moment, okay? I'm not pausing for effect. I had to take a drink. And she was devastated. You could tell she tried to brush it off. You could tell she tried to brush it off because she didn't understand. She thought she was doing something that was going to endear her to this local audience, right? Because she probably, like, I don't know, spent the first 10 years of her life and then Arkansas and then has lived in Los Angeles where people don't do these things to each other. She came in so proud as a peacock that she was in SEC country. And then sure enough, that happened. This is why you don't always SEC. You need to have neutral zones. So the St. Paul dude, they get on, and it's like a big wall of sound, right? It's like a kind of R&B, soul, rock and roll hybrid thing, and the guy's got a guy's got like a giant cape kind of moo-moo thing on, this individual St. Paul. Great show, very, you know, very great showmanship. Not, not exactly my cup of tea, but I really enjoyed myself. Also, I made my wife, like, go to a Pearl Jam concert, so what can I say, right? So what he gets made? on. What do you mean made? There's no making – 
My yeah. wife is a f- my wife's four and a half years younger than me, Bill. She's very much on the cusp of old millennial, and I'm very much on the cusp of young Gen X. And and I would say that that was one of those moments where she was like, "You're older than I am." <laughs> At the Pearl Jam show. But she's I got really their, their Fenway shows, by the way, from September. Downloaded those. They're really nice. If you get the Chicago show from Eddie, night two, that's me screaming uh, 100 yards away. Um, so anyway. Eddie's, Eddie's got his voice back, by the way. He's kind of losing his voice, drinking a little too much wine, smoking too many cigarettes. He's got his voice back. Look, there's no such thing. As soon as someone gives me a terminal diagnosis, that's all I'm doing all day. Interspersed well, with maybe As far as like I know, a, Eddie didn't have a terminal diagnosis, though. He wants to keep touring. I think he's rich as four foot of a bull's ass and doesn't care. Okay. We're going to get to college football in a second. Sure. St. Paul comes out on stage, and this dude who's grown up in Birmingham, who who grew up singing in choirs in Birmingham, 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 this man knows how to handle this situation, all right? So what happens is they come in hot, right? They come in on a review song where, like, the band's introduced one at a time. They sing, boom, straight into the second song. I want to say straight into a third song, then they break. Then he actually gets on the mic, introduces himself, but he knows right away a little bit of banter with the crowd. What does he do? immediately someone like the fifth row goes roll tide right because they're from birmingham he goes i ain't doing that shit tonight because they had played the night before and everyone laughs and applauds because he knows the score it's gonna backfire if he says roll tide right because you got plenty of people there the couple sitting next to us we start talking to them the the couple sitting next to us were a mixed marriage auburn and georgia right it's not a good idea to always do this. And St. Paul, being the Birminghamian that he was, knowing he was in enemy territory in Nashville, excited to play the Ryman, was respectful of that situation. That's all I got to say. Be careful where you do your SEC stuff. See, I thought you were introducing, uh, when you say SEC, go, when, when you SEC, when SEC goes wrong, I thought yeah. you were uh, introducing my S&P Plus rankings, um, which are massive hashtag bias uh, for the SEC, as I've learned over the we'll last We'll get there in a second, but actually we're not, because you know what we're going to do today? We're going to talk a bunch about the Mac. Yeah, let's not, the sound let's not talk about the people that, not downloading. We're talking about Ball State, by God. This is Podcast They Played Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That's a robot, Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. Uh, he's also the author of multiple good written word books about college football, both its history and the practice and application of advanced statistics. Um, you can find them on the Amazon.com, maybe even a local bookstore. Uh, you can also reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. I'm a senior reporter for SBNation.com, and I hate your team and i'm working on something about your team right now bill Mm -hmm. (sighs) we're gonna soldier through even though i don't have my good earbuds uh in the recording right now it's killing me i just i am i am playing wounded i'm hurt okay don't ask me if i'm all right uh before we get into it uh big thank you to my buddy aaron out in boise idaho if you follow me on twitter you saw that well i invented it I got a uh, murder smurf hat. And I promoted hat. it. <laughs> I got a murder smurf hat from Aaron, um, which uh, is the same. I guess you order these things or when you create these things online, the same snapback hat company that those Cretans down in Oxford who stole the whole Batman concept. So I put them side by side. I've now inspired two pieces of paraphernalia merchandise that I am making $0 off of uh, being sold in little like boutiques and head shops around Boise and Oxford. So good on them. I don't yeah. need a murder smurf a snapback because snapbacks look really stupid on my head. So you got a big really, head. It's, it's not really an option for me. So, but good for you. 
I don't have a small head. Um, anyway, uh, very excited, very happy. Also got, um, I think, so I think the company that did it, even though they're not paying me any dollars, um, they also sent me one of these new, like, modern beer glass things. I don't even know how to describe it. It feels like you're holding a wine glass, but it's in the shape of a beer can, but it's a glass. I'm right. doing a very poor job of describing I don't know. It's very nice. I'm drinking uh, coffee out of it right now. Western Collective on one side of the glass just, just to um, – I have to share this. I don't know if this is a thing in Idaho, but they have a, uh, a uh, the state of Idaho drawn out on its side, and then the word "dick shooter" next to it. Yep. Oh. Don't understand. Obviously, when you tilt Idaho to its side, it does look like a. You can either go phallic or or you know, some sort of firearm, which I'm sure in Idaho they they enjoy both of those references. So. <laughs> Good on and, them. And there is a brewery every fi- every 15 feet in the state of Idaho. So Murder Smurfs forever. Um, real quick, though, before we jump into the actual um, football parts that we wanted to talk about, I just want to see how far am I going to get on Murder Smurfs this year. Murder Smurfs, I think, I, I mean, I'm setting the rules here because I created the damn thing. I think you go Murder Smurfs only until they have two losses in a season. Is that fair? Although, man, nobody wanted to do the murder smurfs bit after Oklahoma State. Last I was about to say it only took one this year. So I know, I know. Hang on, maybe it's like a scoring margin thing. Two, two three point losses are fine. Hmm. One seventeen point loss, and it's over. They open with the Florida State Seminoles. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, well, 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 that, that, well. Could, go, that could go many different ways. Uh, Florida State, Marshall, Portland State, Air Force, and UNLV are their first five games. So take that for what it's worth. They'll probably go 5-0 and and then lose to Utah State or something. Um, thanks for the hat, guys. Um, thank you for the murder smurfs. Um, keep it alive. There's a murder smurf in all of our hearts. It just means that you're being ignored and that you have the power to destroy someone. And really, I don't know of a more uplifting story than that. Um, Bill and I were debating before we went back, uh, on the air today. Uh, we got a couple things. We we're talking about this Friday thing for a bit. Um, do you, the listener, not you, the bill want to bring back box score bingo? Bill is of a mind about this. Would you like to state your case and influence their decision-making? Well, the whole blind box, block, bleh, I cannot speak today. So it's a good thing you're doing most of the talking. Uh, the whole blind box score bingo idea kind of came about as a way of, you know, discussing stats and how you look at a box score to, to dictate, to figure out what happened um, and, and understand how a game flowed and blah, 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 blah. Well, um, it, after a while, it, it started to feel like we were repeating ourselves. And so we kind of stopped and the audience didn't seem to be as jazzed about it. Uh, so it was a good time to stop. But, um, you know, everything makes a comeback. Everything is retro at some point. And it's been like two or three years since we did blind box score bingo. And we probably have a, just a couple more listeners than we did at that point. So, so if we can figure out an interesting way to do it in a way that keeps the hosts well, you know, at least one in particular engaged me. Um, then I'm I'm for bringing back a, a blind bo- a box score bingo concept of of some sort. It's just uh, you know, can we do it in a way that's kind of fun and engaging? Um. So one of the things I kicked around, and we're just going to leave this open. You guys can hit us up at hashtag ashpapn or go over to the Reddit r backslash papn. Um. Maybe we assign it to you guys. Maybe we drop it innocuously on Twitter a couple days before the show, and then we go through it, and then we reveal it. And I don't test Bill, um, or um, we, you know, 
I don't want to go back either to the submission structure. And if, if you did not listen to the show when we did blind box score bingo, we would take a standard box score that you would get on ESPN.com or just any score app where you would have, what do we use, Bill? Total yards, offensive yards, turnovers, time of possession, real basic stats. Yeah, first down, like 12, passing. 12, yeah, 12 categories, basically. And then a final score, and we would call it Team A and Team B. And then I would pose all this information to Bill. By, and it was by submission. People would send in weird box scores. And then Bill would reverse engineer by the numbers live. On, like I would not prep him ahead of time, and he would be able to tell me uh, roughly what happened in the game and, and was almost always right. And it would always threaten to reverse the tables and make me do it, which was just been – Since it's been long enough ago and since somebody's going to go back and check, we'll just say I was always right. You really were. I mean, I very rarely remember a time. And there was one or two times where you damn near guessed the game, which was impressive. Um, because we have, I think for a period of time, we had limited it to in during an off-season schedule of the of the previous season. Right. So you were able to actually pinpoint a few games specifically, which was eerie. Um, so, yeah, if you want it back, um, we'll, we'll try and modify the concept, maybe pose it to you guys, maybe see, you know, obviously someone's going to run the numbers. And if... It, this is a game that only operates on the honor system. I mean, you guys could figure it out just by Googling, especially if we put some sort of like, uh, you know, time limit on it and say, we're only going to the last five seasons of college football FBS, you know, then you'd probably be able to find it if you wanted to, but that's not the point of the game. So, um, I don't know. We'll leave it at maybe we'll leave it at maybe. How do you want to do the vote though? Are these people just going to voice their opinion? We take like a giant vote. We do a Twitter poll. How are we going to do this? Uh, usually people hear this and then they start resp- they start start adding us on Twitter and the consensus kind of grows from there. That's that's you know when I was a couple of weeks ago trying to figure out if I was going to do these previews, put out the first previews to to a day for a week or you know wait until the pre- the projections are up, blah blah blah. People just kind of responded and I pretty clearly got a consensus on it. So we'll we'll keep it informal. I think we should bring it back. That's where I'm at right now. Okay. You seem you seem very indifferent about it. I well, I just I need to hear the format because uh, it does feel like doing the same thing we did last time, where I'm guessing the game and all that. That's probably maybe we don't, we don't need to do that necessarily. But I'm, I'm interested in hearing people's suggestions for format. Bill, baby, you gotta play the hits. That's what the people are here to hear. Okay, they want the hits, baby. No, but it's an old hit. It's like Counting Crows playing Mr. Jones now. Like what? What the hell? Like what? what and is I it really guarantee like? you, somebody out there paid that forty nine dollars here, Mr. Jones. And you better cheer. For all the other songs, because Adam will r- remove it from the set list if he doesn't think the crowd deserves it. Look, man, just saying. I think the people want it, and I feel like you're being you're in a your arty noodle rock phase. Just play them radio hits. Get them in. Get them out. Get them happy. They turn the show into a Vegas review. I don't give a shit. Uh, Bill. Another thing I told you before we went on the air. Mia culpa. Uh, oftentimes during the preview cycle, I will not have been caught up on every individual team preview. Uh, when we would go on the air. It did not happen as often as you think because I can hear you sniffing over in Missouri right now, okay? Don't be indignant. It happened once or twice. It specifically would happen with the Mac because the Mac has had a terrible identity problem for the last couple of years. It's very hard to find individual storylines of interest unless you're Bill. And even when you work with Bill, sometimes Bill's arguments just don't register. I don't know what is going on in the Mac, but We've started team previews. We, because I have a mouse in my pocket. Bill has started team previews, and already the Mac is more interesting on a team 
team to team individual narrative basis. I don't know what's going on. Why is this happening? I'm not. I shouldn't look the gift horse in the mouth, but this is fun. I mean, it seems like uh, some of the themes that I've been discovering as I go through these, and basically, I've there are as we as we speak, there are seven of them online. I've got two in the can, and I've got one more to finish for for Friday afternoon. So by the time you're listening to this, um, the basically like the Buffalo preview will probably is, is probably about to go up or he already mm-hmm. has uh, Miami, Ohio will go up on Friday afternoon and then we'll have uh, Ohio and Toledo next week. As um, I refresh, as we record this, the, we are going to go NIU down just, just for okay. your, right. for your own knowledge. Yeah. Cause you haven't only Jason and I have read my brilliant Eastern Michigan preview and my brilliant Buffalo preview. Um, so you have not yet, but one thing I one a couple themes that I haven't noticed so far. Number one, it seems like the Mac as a whole is trying as hard as it can to bring young, energetic recruiters into the mix. What um, a novel concept! It's amazing. Uh, Bowling Green, notwithstanding, <laughs> they went the uh, again. They they you know, sometimes it's good to zig when everybody's zagging. So they oh, went we're the gonna, opposite direction. We're gonna um, get we, we're gonna get we're gonna get the Bowling Green in just a second. But Kent State hired Sean Lewis last year. He has now without with without any sort of evidence of proof of concept, he's now signed two classes that that ranked in the top half of the MAC. I think this year ended up fourth um uh well i mean central michigan obviously didn't go didn't skew young with jim mcelwain but they hired but he's he recruited pretty well he finished that class up pretty well uh mm-hmm. they scooped up some guys akron went with tom arth of uh well he basically what was it called uh, john carroll is that the the college near cleveland he's basically from northeastern ohio played a bunch of played college football at lower level northeastern ohio college uh and now he's back in northeastern ohio with akron uh, he got his mm-hmm. coaching started in northeastern ohio and he's a he's a young energetic type and Terry Bowden for all the strengths. And I mean, he's Terry Bowden, but he's still probably the best hire Akron's made in a very long time. Most successful hire they've made in a very long time. He was not signing. He didn't really seem to have a lot of energy on the recruiting trail when they were doing reasonably well. It was mostly they, they had a decent mix of developmental guys and some transfers. Um, and Arthur's trying to change that. He's trying to actually recruit. Um, Western Michigan with Tim Lester is doing a pretty good job of recruiting and they had a very young team last year and, and they should be uh, moving in that uh, moving in a pretty good direction this year. They might be the damn Mac favorites this year. Uh, Lance Leipold just signed his best Buffalo recruiting class. I think Chris Creighton just signed his best Eastern Michigan class as well. Uh, maybe this is like a two, four, seven composite thing where everybody, where they're a lot more liberal with the three stars or something. Therefore everybody's signing more three stars. I don't know. I should probably check that, but it seems like everybody wanted to play on Tuesday night. That's right. It seems like, like um, a lot of Mac school, there are a lot of at least every a couple uh, like mid three star signees for each Mac class, and and maybe these are guys that don't qualify. I don't know, but um, it really does seem like there's energy uh, just from a talent standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, and that is something that uh, you can't always say has been the case. No, not at all. All right, let's dig through, and we'll just go individual story by individual story because as much as we have to talk about, look. More than any other conference, you talk about MAC teams within the context of the MAC, right? Everything is about the MAC and whether or not you can win that conference. How you there's a portion of attention we allot to this conference every year. It is still a cradle of up and coming coaches. That system still works, but let's not just do that. Let's try and talk about them individually as unique programs. Okay. Um, Yeah. So right off the bat, I'm going to go out of order a little bit. 
if PAPN were to rally behind programs where the odds are awful and there's a lot of character, I think you would go with Kent State for sure. Yeah, now that EMU um, has gotten itself on, off the mat and has sustained itself for a couple of years, Kent State is officially the hardest hard job in a hard job conference. Um, I'm trying to sell Sean Lewis right now. Um, I've met him once. He's got a fantastic reputation. Fantastic know, hipster beard. Yeah, like, I mean, straight out of a brewery. Um, extremely... Almost, I mean, I, I think you have to be naive to take this job, to be totally honest. Um, it, it's a brutal, terrible job, but they are recruiting just illogically right now. I know a couple guys on his staff, they've done a good job of spreading out and not just doing sort of the sort of the opposite of what Akron just did. They're not like, we're going to just rust belt the shit out of this. It's, it's much more of like, let's go out. In fact, maybe it actually helps Kent State that they go out and recruit in places where Kent State is just considered to be another MAC team. I do think there's an invisible line if you go in a certain direction where it's like, oh, yeah, there's a MAC school, and not like, oh, God, it's Kent State. Um, and clearly it's working. They're doing something in recruiting. Now, if I were to if I were to direct our, our, our choir here to throw themselves behind Kent State this fall, what are we, what are we in for here? Are we looking at... Could could you give me a five and seven? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, their their S and P projection is four and eight. Um, so if they exceed their projection by about a touchdown a game, which happens uh, to a decent number of teams, they're looking at like more at six and six. I mean, let's face it. Like any MAC team, you should be you should be able to paint a picture that gets you to four, five, six wins. Uh, mm-hmm. You just have to be a little better than a lot of other teams all of a sudden. But um, I, when I was writing this preview, I was finding myself like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is cool. Lots of energy here. Uh, right, let's right. wait another year before we actually set a bar. But um, – and they do kind of have a – they don't have their classes timed just right. Like so let's say they need another year. Well, their best running back um, is a guy named Joel Shaw who's a senior. And their best receiver or their steadiest receiver is uh, – well, probably best too is a slot receiver, Mike Kerrigan. Kerrigan, he's a senior. They're going to be starting three or four senior offensive linemen. So it might take a little while here to get everything balanced out. But they will have, like most teams – that aren't named Bowling Green. They do have a, a, a shot at, at at least four, five, six, seven. That little range just depends on who wins the close games. Okay. Uh, Lewis is a Scotty guy. I didn't realize that. Played at Wisconsin. Played at Wisconsin when I was a sports writer. I'm old. All right. Just figured that out, actually, uh, going through bio stuff. So um, this may be one of those where I have to just stare Jason Kirk in the face and say, trust me, I'm going to go do a thing about Kent State and people are going to like it. I've done that before. And usually if I build up enough muster, I'm not wrong when I do those. No one may care, but I'm not wrong about the characters there. So this is the, I mean, it. I wouldn't say bad news bears, but this is, the, there, there may not be a more lovable loser <laughs> out there. I mean, I know you got very excited about New Mexico State's brief flirtation with relevance <laughs> but this may be more dire it's just not in a desert right and they have a conference which helps yeah and honestly i think that the benefits that already okay um by the way kent state plays at arizona state at auburn at wisconsin and then home against kennesaw state in in non-conference so they're gonna lose all they, those games if they go four and four in conference play that'll be a nice season they still might be four and eight when uh the season and that ends. may be i mean honestly that may be how it shakes out um okay uh 
Central Michigan. For those of you who don't remember, how did we get to this situation? You know, it's a fun thing where Jim McElwain and Central Michigan can ask each other that because um, they very much just woke up after after a three-year bender and just sort of stared at each other and figured out, I, I don't know how we ended up in this motel, but we're going to make the best of it together. Um, Dan Enos. Dan the man Enos. Man, I loved connecting these dots. This is one of the ones, the previews I was actually sort of looking forward to writing because I had figured out, like, I'd figured out the timing in my head. Go ahead. Sell it. Uh, If you don't remember Dan Enos just up and walked out, this happens sometimes, Todd Munkin at Southern Miss. He just up and left. He left before signing day. It was 2015 after the 14 season. Is that right? Or 15 out of 16? Enos, yeah. I don't remember Munkin for sure, but yeah. No, Todd Munkin left Southern Miss, walked out. I don't know. Right. Um, I, I think that actually happened at the same time. Anyway, okay. um, Enos leaves. They have no coach. They cannot find a coach. They get John Bonamago as a coach. They just sort of find him, I think, like a couple weeks later, if I recall. Yeah, he's like, Detroit, he's like the Detroit Lions special teams coach, basically. Um, shockingly, that was not a recipe for long-term success, sustained success at all. So CMU goes about, I can tell you this, um, in the cycle, they made a a pretty quick move on McIlwain. Um, They had some issues with Bonamago on and off the field just in terms of program direction. There's just some general frustration, nothing salacious. Um, And they knew they were going to make a move, and I would hear about this. And here that they were looking, they were not going to do anything other than hire a proven head coach. Now, if you're CMU in the MAC and you're coming off of this three-year embarrassment, that means you're targeting someone who's got a little bit of a scratch and dent sale going themselves. Well, it's a one-year embarrassment, but what do you mean for CMU? Yeah, I mean they went to they went to bowls his first three years. They were slipping, but they were still going to bowls. Yes, that is all true. Um, they were not the CMU that they wanted no, to be. No, no, they weren't the um, CMU uh, was a program that specifically looked across at PJ Fleck in Western Michigan and were real, real, real pissed that that wasn't them. <laughs> well, and real, I mean, real, they real were. Uh, they found kind of a. They got Brian Kelly. They had Butch Jones. Um, they found a recipe that was working. What was the the quarterback's name? Dan Lefevre. Uh, they had a lot of, they, yes. they, they sustained a certain level that you're not, that you usually don't in the Mac. And then it stopped basically. Yeah. Jim McElwain. Jim McElwain. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> um, tell me real fast, Bill, if you're interested in this type of foolishness and you automatically want to jump on a, a central Michigan bandwagon. Um, let's take the Florida thing. Let's just put it in the corner. Okay. Uh, good play caller. Good offensive coach. Okay. Solid recruiter. Yes. Could immediately apply some results to that offense. Yeah, and I mean he he's he's it's kind of a no lose situation in that regard because they had the like the worst FBS offense of the last five years last year. So basically anything McElwain does, and when I said this on Twitter, of course, I got some Florida snark. Uh, yeah. but almost literally anything McElwain tries to do offensively will result in improvement because you really can't be worse offensively than they were last year. And that was, that's when I, we talk about John uh, Bonamago coming in and the, the, they signed in January, 2015, they signed an 18 man recruiting class without a head coach. And that's still one of those just mind blowing things that I've ever, 
read or, or written about or whatever. Like they had to, they had a bunch of assistants who were who as who were as far as they knew dead men walking. They had to go out and sell Central Michigan to recruits, and they found eighteen guys willing to come to play for Central Michigan without a head coach. And they and then they signed Bonamigo like a, a week later. And so it was just this little landmine that got planted, uh, and then we were just waiting for it to 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 damage uh, Central Michigan, and it did because this last year. They 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 entered 2018 with some of the lowest returning production rates in the country. Maybe like oh third lowest, third lowest returning production in the country. So they were going to have a down year. It was going to be a right. reset year. Defensively, they had enough playmakers to kind of hold the fort a little bit. One of the guys they signed in 2015 was this defensive end Mike Dana, who had a great year and is now he's put his 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 uh his name in the transfer portal. See if he can snare a P5 gig for a year. But um, defensively, they were all right. Offensively that class that needed to come through for them produced like nothing, a couple offensive linemen on an unsuccessful offensive line running back named Romello Ross, who started just cause somebody had to start, but didn't do anything. Good couple, running back name. Yeah. Great running back name, not great running back. Uh, some receivers who technically contributed, but not really like basically this is where that 2015 class needed to come through offensively and nothing happened. And so, um, so yeah, they, they they played a bunch of quarterbacks. They had some injuries here and there. They had no skill talent really to lean on. The offensive line wasn't very good, uh, and they had the like, Bonamigo was kind of screwed by this. But at the same time, he had a few years to try to recover from this, and he didn't even come close to doing it. And so no. I felt bad for him because he got fired for something that kind of happened before he was there. But he also had plenty of time to recover. And they were one and freaking eleven last year. Um, they they weren't Western Michigan, but like their, their win totals of recent years seven six seven seven six eight one. <laughs> so that's gonna get you fired. It that's gonna is. get you fired. Um, I would also point out there are seven, according to your preview, quarterbacks in the mix right now. Yeah, one of them is probably gonna be a tight end by the time the season starts. But there are yeah, it's a battle royal. And one of those, for those of you listening, uh, former Tennessee quarterback Quentin Dormady. Quentin Dormady. These people just appear. Transfer portal. It's just ruining college football. Uh, CMU, although not really having a reason to, I guess just having that cup of coffee with Brian Kelly and Butch Jones successively, really feels like they are the Northern Illinois of, or should be a Northern Illinois of the MAC. (laughs) The thing about Northern Illinois is um, not not talking so much about the coaching change just yet, is that Northern Illinois wasn't really Northern Illinois. No. It was that this was a this was a this was a good team that was sneaky bad and able was able to play context really really well. Yeah, they took advantage of Toledo having a little bit of a step backwards with with turnover. They took advantage of Eastern Michigan losing every close game. Uh, they kind of stumbled their way into the MAC division, the MAC West title, and then they stumbled their way into Buffalo falling into cruise control, not being able to get out, and they won the MAC title game as well. So. There you go. However, this is still the team that, again, there's always this estimation that they are a little bit more successful, a little bit more consistent than other MAC schools. I think people are going to look at Rod Carey and go, went to the MAC championship game, uh, took, or sorry, went to the MAC championship game and won the MAC championship game, has two conference titles, took over in that famous Orange Bowl game where they were getting killed to, uh, by Florida right. State, and he gets the Temple job. So good job, well done, super successful. Not entirely representative of what NIU has actually been doing. 
Yeah, they were awesome defensively the last couple of years. Had Sutton Smith, uh, the defensive end, had had some nice talent on that end, but offensively they fell apart. I, I wrote about this in their preview. Like they, if you only watch them in the MAC title game, uh, and you're reading me writing about how man their offense was terrible, you're like, what the hell's what the hell was wrong with their offense? It looked great. Spencer Tears making a bunch of fancy acrobatic catches, and they were moving the ball <clears throat> really well in the second half and all that. That was like the one time they moved the ball the ball well all year. Um, it really was kind of a just a Buffalo let go of the rope, so to speak, and, and Northern Illinois took advantage. But you know they they really were they're in an interesting spot because their offense should get better. The returns a lot. Their defense loses Sutton Smith among other guys, um, and now they got Thomas Hammock as their head coach. Thomas Hammock, an NIU alumnus, NFL guy, um, first African American coach in program history. And I'm about to do the terrible thing, which is I just want to talk about the interesting play caller he hired. Yeah, hell yeah. That's what All I right. did. Um, tell me about, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Eric Eidsness. <clears throat> I guess. Eidsness. Yeah. He comes from South Dakota State. South Dakota State in the last five years had uh, that Zach Zenner guy, if you remember him, the guy who ran for 2,000 yards three straight years. Um like he was, I think he was, he had a big game when they beat Kansas one year uh, and the year before, I believe they played Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, this is off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that was the year they had um, like his first run of the year was an 80 yard touchdown because the quarterback fumbled the snaps. Missouri swooped in to, or like just swarmed to try to pile on the ball, but he picked it up, handed it to Zenner and Zenner trotted 80 yards for a touchdown. Um like they they went from that like they had a big burly running back who was really good at picking up yards and so they were run heavy and physical and intense in that regard then they had a good quarter then he left but they had a good, a good quarterback and a nice receiving core so they turned into uh they had a 3 or 4 year starter who finished his career with 11,000 passing yards he's he's extremely adaptable uh they have that kind of South Dakota state blue collar physical mentality just which which is kind of good even though the MAC has been known as a spread conference it's kind of good to have that because you're more likely i think to be able to find solid offensive linemen and maybe slow but physical offense or running backs and whatnot you can find those up in the north um and so i like to hire a lot just it's it's a guy who's adaptable and consistently successful it's exactly the kind of hire you should make and i love the story behind it it was basically hammock realizing okay i've got a staff to hire here you know what we were watching we watched a lot of film of south dakota state when i was with the ravens and i really liked their offense i'm gonna look into this and it turned out he liked the guy and decided to hire him he wasn't like previous connections or anything like that it was just basically like i've seen this offense and i like it i'm gonna go i'm gonna get that guy kind that's of similar, exactly the hire i like kind of yeah kind of similar to the way mike Yersick got hired at uh yeah. oklahoma state and he's now at ohio state um yeah, very very similar story. Sometimes yeah. a professional admiration society ends up paying off huge. Now, Bill, watch this beautiful transition. Uh-oh. Why is Bowling Green ass? <laughs> because uh, we really can't tell this story enough times. Bowling Green is ass because they uh, – not this hire. We'll get to this hire in a second. This hire is just special in its own different way. Um, the former athletic director – we should put his name next to it, Chris Kingston uh, – at Bowling Green – decided that he liked Texas Tech in terms of the ability to score points, okay? Yes. He went down the list at Texas Tech of assistants that he could hire to get interested in the job at Bowling Green. I can't remember what year this was. Um, And he landed on now former Bowling Green coach Mike Jinks. Yes. That is the entire story. Yes. 
Mike Jinks was a guy who came up in Texas high school football. What was his actual position? I think when he, he was, was running backs. I think he was running backs coach for the for Texas Tech. Okay, absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it, Get, it was. Guess what? It didn't work. No, it, it very much did. It, it really was. It was. It was as hilarious as we could make it sound. Is what really happened. Like he, they lose Dino Babers, and the athletic director's like, "I like offense. Our fans seem to like offense. Who's got a good offense? Texas Tech has a good offense. Who can I afford?" And he calls Mike Jinks up, and Mike Jinks, I mean, of course, isn't going to say no because it's a head coaching job. But he's like, I don't. Uh, he he had never. He was not to a point where in his college didn't coaching have career that he he didn't have a a list of like guys he would want to hire. He he did not think he was there. He had just moved up from the high school ranks a couple of years earlier, um, and it really was. He was just like, oh, uh, okay. I, I've never been to Ohio, but I'm sure it's nice. And that's who they hired as a head coach. And he you know didn't hire a very good staff and couldn't. His offenses were okay. They did move the ball a little bit, but his defenses were just train absolute train wrecks. Even by Texas Tech standards, they were absolute train wrecks. Sorry, um, but I, yeah, it didn't work. He he went four and eight in his first year, which was kind of a miracle. Two and ten in his second year, and he was one and six when he got fired last year. Um, but. And so then the new athletic director comes in and is like, you know, forget this offense thing. I want to forget the spread offense thing, whatever. Everybody else seems to be going this direction. I'm going to, I'm going to, everybody else is, is zagging. I'm going to zig. I'm going to hire Scott Loeffler. Holy sh- And he's okay. going to retain Carl Pelini, although Pelini and, did just leave. He's going to, and, he's, <laughs> and hire Brian Van Gordon. That's right. Now, he's going to hire Scott. He's going to hire Scott Loeffler and Scott Loeffler is going to hire the defensive Scott Loeffler. One of the Brian weakest and most broken I've ever seen a, a, an SEC power program. The top half of the SEC was that 2012 Auburn year. Yeah. Where Scott Loeffler and BVG were the coordinators. Um, I wrote one of my favorite stories I've ever done in my career, which was, I just perched up at the, um, entrance of Vanderbilt stadium as these dejected, confused, bewildered Auburn fans came down this one little ramp. Cause they basically funnel all the visitors into one side. Oh my God. I have some great pictures somewhere on like a hard drive. That I just took with my phone of both BVG and Loeffler after the game, just standing in total disbelief. They essentially destroyed Gene Chizik's career, but Chizik hired them. So I don't know causation i guess um oh my gosh it doesn't stop here's no 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 let me finish then you go to virginia tech yeah and you sort of how do we describe the effect that he had on these offenses i mean just they were cataclysmically bad they were just like mute they were just kind of depressing yeah like they didn't get worse they just sort of like existed in a pro set that did very little yeah Especially at V Tech, like it was, there's it, it was the most non dynamic yeah. attack I've ever seen at multiple schools, and he his, ends up at BC. Yeah, his um, his so 2012 Auburn, they were 61st in offensive S and P plus, which is actually better than I would have guessed. Um, average ranking at Virginia Tech offensively was 73rd. Uh, and then he goes to Boston College. His best Boston College offense was 88. That was that 2017 offense that for like a month was unstoppable and otherwise was extremely stoppable. Uh, they finished 88th. Um, that was his resume. His The 2015 Virginia Tech offense, as I wrote in the piece, that ranked 57th in offensive S&P+. Plus. That's his 
That's his calling card. That's how he got that. That and the fact that his resume still has Tim Tebow and Tom Brady on it. Um, that's how he got the job. But he hires Brian Van Gorder. Uh, I, I just assume the BVG will end up defensive coordinator. Originally, it was Carl Pelini before Pelini left Bowling Green for Youngstown State to go back to a coach with his brother. Um, offensive coordinator is Terry Malone. If you sort of recognize the Terry Malone name, it's because he coached with Loeffler at Michigan. He was offensive coordinator at Michigan for a while. His last gig was at Purdue in 2015 and 16. Uh, Purdue ranked 82nd and 92nd in offensive S&P Plus those years. He plays Big Burley man ball um that stopped working a while ago um and honestly 82nd and 92nd in offensive s&p plus would be a step down for bowling green who was terrible all around last year that's still that would be regression for their offense um just amazing set of hires and, and i it's so bad that i almost hope it works like i've I, I don't like being wrong and i of course didn't i wasn't showing a lot of optimism in the piece um I actually like I got unintentionally mean at the end and I had to put a preface on it. The first the summary at the bottom of the Bowling Green preview says it starts with I swear I don't mean this this to sound as mean as it probably does, but if there's one benefit here is that Scott Loeffler understands what it's ta- like to bide your time without visible improvement. Um I meant that as almost a positive because it's going to take a little while no matter what, but oh, like how do you there's a lot of power conference names on these resumes, I guess, you know, uh, Michigan and Auburn and Boston College of Virginia Tech and BVG's coached at Notre Dame and oh, what, Georgia or whatever and, and Michigan some more and Michigan some more, but <clears throat> just horrible, 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 horrible. Um, it's funny because they, they, they do the jinx thing, which was the, sort of the antithesis of looking at resumes and thinking logically. And then they right. did the most like, too logical thing right michigan auburn two resume thing yeah jeez uh i really hate because they always come back and bite you in the ass doing the coaching grade hire things right we don't do them i don't i I mean i saw one where some member of the merit badge media had done a grade out for when Dabo got hired and gave it like (laughs) a d yeah um so you know, it's dumb. However, this one just is, I guess you just have to overcorrect when you've done what you right, did exactly. the, the previous is, time. I, that's my only logic Massive overcorrection. That's my only logic here. Um, you know what though? Here's, here's why I'm grateful. It's interesting and it's weird. And Carl Polini and BVG are on the same staff together. Well, and they're I, not anymore. Cause Carl left. Uh, they were going to be, but Carl left. And so now wait, is Carl officially gone. I, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, oh man. All right. Screw it. I hope they lose. Okay. Um, identity, 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 Akron. Um, man, they're just going for it. This is just, this is a Bruce Springsteen song, specifically Youngstown. Uh, Um, it's just, wow. Um, this is a hard job. Mm -hmm. I think that hiring Terry Bowden was a smart move. And I think it also, um, there were going to be some limits to the effectiveness and also to, I think there, the, the vision there, because you're getting a guy in the twilight of a very, right. Uh, peculiar career himself and that had a shelf life. So you have to make that change. Um, I don't, I doubt anybody knows anything about Tom Arth. Um, yeah, I had the, 
the only thing, the first thing I know about Tom Arth is one of the coaches I talked to a decent amount, who's just been, kind of been around the Midwest himself a decent amount. Has interacted with Arth a lot. It was like, man, you do not understand how awesome this guy is. I'm like, all right, yeah. sure, let's go. Um, he's very, he's just, he is kind of the Sean Lewis type, except more experienced. He's just energetic. He's got a lot of fire. He's going to go out and recruit hard. He's going to, um, he, he's got some opinions on. I mean, he's he's seen some things. He's been a head coach a couple of years at Chattanooga. Uh, he's I think 37, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's really all we know about him. His offenses are usually pretty good. Uh, they want to pass the ball, which could be an issue at uh, uh, at, at Akron this year. Their their uh, best returning quarterback is a guy, Cato uh, Nelson. He's a junior now. Um, Average 5.2 yards per run and like 5.6 yards a pass. One of those is good. One of them is not. Um you know, 52% completion rate. Uh, the the other guy on the roster who played last year, Alex Remart, went nine for 32 passing with one touchdown and six picks, uh, 1.2 yards per attempt. Not good. Um, Not good. So we'll see. Like, it, it's going to take them a little while. Uh, the the best news is that whoever they kind of focus in on and uh, in terms of talent and who, who ends up emerging for the offense – Probably not a senior. They're like two seniors who might start on offense. Uh, so whatever they figure out, they, they should be able to continue that moving forward. But you figure there's going to be a little bit of a struggle here. Here's what I do know. Um, people talk about Arth and his time at Tennessee Chattanooga the way people have talked about Will Healy at Austin P, who's now the head coach at Charlotte. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similar similarities there. So uh healy i'm pretty sure they know each other because healy was a quarterback's coach and and played at utc and we're doing a piece on healy healy's gotten the, the uh, a lot more attention um in the press but this is one of those bet it all find somebody who absolutely owns the interview and, and can walk right. in and just just see and convey a vision for an otherwise lost cause now yeah. i will say this it's a hell of a lot easier to win at charlotte than it is to win at Akron and no one's won at Charlotte because they haven't existed that long. That's that's a case of American economics and geography right now. Uh, Akron, Ohio versus Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. So this is not an easy play. Um, but much like when Sean Lewis got hired last year, I enjoy the hell out of these moments yeah. because it's like, all right, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna, you have nothing. You are a pioneer <laughs> here. Now, I will say. Uh, Bowden leaves a better roster, right, than what Lewis inherited. Uh, only because Kent State's was a wreck. Yeah, like, yeah, after, yeah, yeah. He did. Bowden didn't leave a lot. His problem was that suddenly the talent ran out because all the transfers graduated. But well, the um, they just they couldn't. I remember running into a couple of his assistants years ago at the at either at the convention or somewhere else, and just be, and like their methodology for saying like, okay, well, we were successful at UNA, and we know that we can pull guys from the South Mid South region. Because that's what we did at UNA. We'll just apply that principle here to Akron. I'm like, you're going to lose, like, the, the, the six and a half hour drive straight north or whatever it is, like, that's not going to translate. It's just not. You can get them to Huntsville, but you're, or not Huntsville, Florence. Uh, it, it's, that's not a long term recipe right. for success. You have to win in Ohio. Right. Yeah. And they didn't. I just, just aesthetically, though, like, would you rather swing and miss on a Tom Arth or on Scott Loeffler? Like, that's, I I understand that like a lot of the guys we were like oh hell yes I like, mean Arth right work. well yeah um yeah. 
Like I, I realize a lot of the guys we end up gung ho for, like Bob Stitt didn't really work out at Montana. You know, I understand that it doesn't always work out in that regard. Like we, we like these guys that doesn't automatically mean they're, they're going to succeed. And it doesn't automatically mean that Lawler's, you know, if he gets a bunch of big linemen and uh, some good running backs and he's going to, and a, you know, six, six quarterback, he's going to know what to do with them sort of. Uh, and Bowling Green can win some games. So just well, by being I mean, but you stop right there. Like you're going to run pro set power at Bowling Green. Right. That's apparently, gonna be apparently like, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to go smashy, smashy. Two tight but, ends, and, and that's going to work? I mean, maybe. You know, it could, technically. Uh, it doesn't take a lot to to separate yourself, <clears throat> at least a little bit, from others in the MAC, but still, like, the odds aren't great. And if you're going to fail, fail with, like, fail optimistically. Don't fail with a guy who's best uh, ranking uh, uh, after, like, a decade of being an offensive coordinator in a power conference whose best ranking is, like, 59th. Like, try, uh, try like, something optimistic here. I'm interested in McElwain. It's not the yeah. the former coach been around the block thing that we have a bias against, or we always want the young, dynamic, weird coach, or the or the you know we either. I know if you listen to us consistently, you think like, well, all they want is the super young coach who's different, or the the Willie Fritz guy who's different. It's not always that. Just have something that's differentiating yeah. you at these jobs that obviously are hard. Yeah, no, um, I, I I love the hire just because it is kind of there is a, an optimism, a hint of optimism with it, and I hope it works out for that reason only, so that other people will make these hires too. Uh, real fast because we need to get to questions. Ball State is not bad; they're just injured a lot. Is that but, like- but yeah? I mean, basically, like Mike No Mike No has been here, been there three years now. Here, I'm not in Muncie. Um, He's been there three years. His first year, he took what Pete Limbo left him um, and did as much as he could with it, and they improved Ball State a little bit after they kind of bottomed out, and I was kind of impressed. Then his second year, they get detonated worse than any other team in the country by injury. And so I'm like, okay, well, that was a mulligan. Maybe they can actually feel the too deep in 2018, and they sort of did, but they still got hit pretty hard by injury. Uh, they improved. The, I think they went, what, four and eight, if I remember right. Um, they did better than they had in 2018. But at like some point, I know at some point it becomes a situation where like even if this isn't really your fault, if it is injury, like, I don't know, man, like hire a better strength and conditioning coach or, or, or show that you're doing something because at some point it starts to reflect on you whether it should or not. Um, and so I figure he's got a pretty hot seat at the moment cause they haven't won in a few years now. Um, and they bottomed out in 2017, only got a little better in 2018. They return, they, they were, they were scheduled. They, they were set up to return like a ton, obviously, cause that's what usually happens with injuries. Only then Riley Neal, the quarterback transferred to Vanderbilt. Um, James Gilbert, the running back transferred to Kansas state. Um, and so suddenly they return a lot defensively and on the offensive line, but now they're going to be starting a new quarterback and starting a new running back. Although they did a, make a lovely move. They went like, okay, well, we're going to lose a, a running back to a, high, a bigger school for transfer. Well, let's, let's go down to Edinburgh college and pluck their 1600 yard rusher. Uh, so a guy named Walter Fletcher took a grad transfer to ball state. Um, and that makes me very happy. His, like, I, I love those moves. I, I kind of hate anything that screws small schools and to a certain degree, grad transfers do. But if you're going to lose your guys to a P5 conference, your best guys, go pluck somebody else's uh, best guys from D2 or something and and keep that uh, little train rolling, I guess. Um, and then also Western Michigan. Yes. Uh, they may not be fleck good this year, but they will 
They, they had won six in a row, I think, when their quarterback got hurt, John w- yeah. uh, Wasink, uh, or however you say his last name. I um, think it's fair. Like all joking is, like, it's fair to say that there are shades of that that buzz back, but I don't think they're going undefeated or anything. No, probably not. But I mean, they I think what what they benefit from this year, they had a couple freshmen step up. There's a receiver named Jaden Reed who was really really good, and he was a freshman. He was a uh, Tim Lester recruit, but they still have like J- Levante Bellamy as their running back. He's a he's a fleck guy. They got a mm-hmm. Dwayne Eskridge uh, receiver is a fleck guy. Uh, they have an all uh, conference offensive lineman who's a senior. They still have a lot of fleck recruits in the system that are are going to start cycling out at, after this year. So it's kind of a they better win this year because they they have a lot of depth from those really good recruiting classes. Uh, Lester's not doing bad recruiting wise, but this is just this is an opportunity for him to take advantage of of the last of the fleck recruits win some games I, I, they really might be the mac favorite this year with what with the depth that they return um win some games kind of prove you can do this too uh and keep recruiting pretty well and go from there this will be a missed opportunity if they don't win big this year okay we'll come back next week and do the rest yeah Did you, I gotta, you gotta wait nope. another week to find out what i have to say about buffalo and i apologize for that yeah Boy, I always leave them wanting more. All right, That's Bill, right. let's do some uh, hashtag AskPAP, and you can get us on Twitter. You can also find us on Reddit. Um, all right, we'll start with the news of the day. Scott Shannon says, uh, what's going on with Levitt at Oregon? Where do you think yeah. he goes next? Um, this was in the works for a long, long time. There's nothing going on. Um, the shortest answer I can give you is that this is what happens when you inherit a staff versus build a staff. And when Mario Cristobal was named interim head coach and – went about lobbying and ultimately getting that job at Oregon, which he totally deserved. Um, well, I guess I should back up. Obviously, he was the O-line slash co-OC for Willie Taggart, who was there for one year, who goes to Florida State, da-da-da-da-da. Um, he and Levitt didn't mesh. He wasn't... Jim Levitt was not the the DC that Mario Cristobal would have ever hired, and so this was just uh, the the logical breaking point. Um, it, it, I don't think it really has anything more than that. I, I think Oregon's still in a great position to be very successful this year. Yeah, Levitt is a good defensive coordinator who doesn't get along with everybody. <laughs> yeah, I went up there and was struck about how Jim Levitt doesn't know how to be an assistant. <laughs> right. I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, and that's that's good or bad. Um, let's jump into some controversy. You ready? Okay. For as much as we can get controversial in our own industry, Scott asks, uh, how do you in the industry and Bill as a contemporary uh, slash direct competitor view the work of Phil Steele? Personally, I used to live and die by his preview, <laughs> but now it seems that, like it lacks substance. More bragging about previous predictions and abbreviations than actual previews. So I'll start right away by saying, obviously – yeah, Bill runs his own team preview and does a lot of what Phil does, but we also, both of us, do um, work for Athlon, for the Athlon company. So right. that, that's full disclosure there. Uh, we are paid to do that um, when yeah. it happens. So um, that being said, I can turn around right now. Lean over. I got volumes 13 through 23. I've missed like two in my collection. Otherwise, I have every single one from 1994. So here's the weird thing, and I, I think I can speak for you on this one. We see the we see the flaws in Phil Steele, and yet our dumbasses buy it every year. So no, I, I think I've always said like I 
so much of a lot of where I started with some of my stuff regarding turnovers and turnovers. Look, that comes straight from turnovers equal turnaround, which I learned about from Phil Steele. Like that, I, a lot of what I do, I like to, th- and I, I know we talk about this like once a year when the magazines come out, but a lot of what I do at least st- started germinated from an idea I got from his magazines about how to organize a bunch of information in, into a preview about the turnover stuff. There's just a lot of stuff that I, I got from him. I like to think in my own head that I have surpassed him in a lot of ways, but that's in my own head. A lot of people still re- uh, read the hell out of St- uh, Phil Steele, and I recommend you buy that and Athlon each year. I've said this on the show before, but I mean, if you pull out one of those, maybe not, definitely not since I've had kids and did this job full time, <laughs> I used to keep it and uh, and use the the empty score charts on every team. Oh right, keep yeah. Keep it updated that way. I mean, yeah, I, because it, it was, is. It was my week to week Bible. In fact, the ones from like oh eight oh nine. I mean, I toted that thing with me everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's it. Like starting in about. I, my previews started in 2011. Um, those first couple of years are kind of hard to Google, but so basically starting in 2013, if I need to, re- if I, I I need to reference something that happened in the past or a depth chart or something to that effect, starting in about 2013, I'll just, I'll, I know how to Google my stuff uh, from like 2013, 14, 15 and all that. And that's how I'll look it up before 2013 especially before 2012, I'm probably just going over to the the shelf and pulling out like the 2009 Phil Steele magazine. And it's having such a reliable format. Like the, the writing is extremely repetitive for sure. Um, but having such a reliable format for the depth charts and the spread information and all the stuff that he provides in there, it is just, it has been amazingly, Oh, what's who is, what year was so-and-so there or who was on the depth chart that year that Ohio state with the receiving core was blah, blah, blah. Like being able to just immediately go over and pull out the 1998 Phil Steele or whatever and reference that is an amazing resource. Um, I'm actually digging for a question because every time I solicit this guy, we haven't we've missed his question several times, and now I can't find <laughs> it again. I think it's about Indiana. Uh, let's um, so if we find it on the show, man, I would hate for, I'd hate to lose oh, yeah, it again. Yeah, here it is. The poor um, guys, I don't see it on mine. It's Kyle Mosh, the VK Mosh. Um, what will it take? He oh yeah, he 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 passed it along yesterday again. Um, what will it take for Indiana to pull off the massive upset against one of the big four in their division that they have been so close to these past few years? I mean. I don't think there's an answer there. It's just like finished. People pull upsets. So the, the fact that the fact that Indiana hasn't is is as much random as anything. They've had a couple different coaches and haven't been able to p- quite pull it off. It really it it does become a mental barrier, but you just do it once and then it gets easier. I think I don't. There's not one thing they're doing wrong. It's just they're not quite pulling it off. They so, they are they are sliding dangerously close to to Butch Jones territory of like taking in those whoop whoop sources. Sources, um, sources, sources named my wife. Um, they are in Butch Jones territory right now, meaning that like you're doing everything you're supposed to on an inc- just incrementally, probably not as fast as most of your fans want you to. But then in those games that count all capital letters, you're just not winning for a variety of very close, very heartbreaking reasons. You know, mm. they haven't quite had the Florida Hail Mary moment happen to sort of stab them in the belly yet. But <laughs> I do know with the way Purdue's going, it's probably exacerbated the way they're being yeah. criticized. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, Indiana, part of the, uh, another part of the reason they haven't been able to pull these upsets is they're not quite good enough. They've been they're better than they used to be, but they're still only, 
you know, top 40, 50, 60, 70 good, not top 20 good. And, you know, it becomes a lot easier to win these games when you're top 20 good. So that is part of it for sure. So I, think I, I think the answer is get better. And I hate that uh, because I think that's the most realistic answer. And it's the laziest answer you can possibly give. Um, There's a quick one. Uh, Quinn asks, how much schadenfreude did we miss out on by not having the coach's film room for the net? Oh, my God. Um, a lot. Depends yeah. on who who was in that room, I guess. But oh yeah, I, well, right. but here's my response. I don't know if you could assemble a room that wouldn't enjoy. Yeah, true. Yeah, that third quarter, especially where they were just like, you know what? Now we're going to impose our will as brutally as possible, which is what you've done to the entirety of the sport for a decade. Yeah, the two um the two AFCA conferences I went to, where you end up watching the national title game around a bunch of coaches. I, it was unfortunate this year because I did it two years ago when it was uh, when Clemson won in twenty seven. Well, the sixteen season in January twenty seventeen, and we were at a bar and the, like the whole crowd was just going nuts for for Clemson every single time, which was funny. Um, this year I was watching it in the championship analytics suite, uh, and it was a little bit of a different experience in that regard, but um, not quite as raucous up in the suite, but. Uh, anyway, um, Papa Diesel, uh, not standard material, but please just affirm 12 year old me's belief that Peter Warwick was the greatest Reggie Bush before Reggie Bush. Here's the rule on this. Your mind is allowed to do whatever it wants with college football history. Yes. Yeah. Peter Warwick was awesome, dude. So is, and you know what? Michael Vick against Florida state is the greatest performance in college football. Eat me, Vince Young. Don't eat me at the cheesecake factory. Um, but that's just how I remember it. Actually, I also remember a Thursday night game that uh, it, was, it was Virginia Tech. I want to say home against West Virginia, or maybe at West Virginia. It was a Thursday night game. I was a sophomore in college, so this would have been two thousand. I mean, the greatest performance I've ever seen. Was that the one where brain... he he ripped off a no two thousand? They won forty eight to twenty. Oh, was it that like one of those ninety nine that he had to rip off like a late a couple late runs to set up a game winning field goal or something like that? But two, I mean, two, we're we're talking about a memory that is however many years old. Two thousand they crushed informed by a twelve pack of <laughs> of beast. So, um, yeah, no, you can remember it however you want to, man. Peter Warwick Nebraska- was undoubtedly better than we remember because he failed in the pros to whatever degree, and that always kind of clouds your memory. He he. Well, Mike Vick in the national title game that year uh, in 99 put together about the best performance any of us have seen for an underdog in that situation. And Peter Warwick said, nah, no, we're still winning. And, you know, he, he went out and seized that game for Florida State. They had more talent, but he was dominant in that game. He was unbelievable in that game. The Butch Jones, uh, Butch Jones, sorry, Butch Davis. That it's okay. The Butch Davis Hurricanes. Um, in my mind, are like the most physically powerful football team with the exception of the offensive line of Nebraska when they beat up Florida in the Orange Bowl. Like, it's just, my mind will always tell me that's the toughest looking football (laughs) team. So it's totally okay. Yeah. Um, The sport needs more hyperbole. And and apocryphal anecdotes and all that stuff. Uh, Hopping Um, over to the Reddit. Um, Yeah. Let's see. I got a couple here. Which one do I want to ask first? Um... Well, we'll start with this one. So, uh, so I don't start with a Mizzou question. We'll ask this one first. Dewat four twenty three, D E W O T four twenty three. As a Sooner fan living in SEC country, 
I often get the standard, quote, easy conference line when fans of other teams salty about their three consecutive losses to Vanderbilt. Gosh, who is he talking about there? Uh, feel the need to take me down a peg. I usually respond with, well, maybe, but all of those teams play their best game of the year against us. This is mostly just a braggadocious way of deflecting further smack talk, but is there any data backing this up? Do the Oklahoma, Al- Alabamas, and Ohio States of the world actually play tougher instances of their, of their conference opponents than the Indianas or Kansas States? Are there any huge outliers that seem to always get really excellent or really poor play from their opponents. Um, that's always what, like Serena Williams has said many times, like, you know, I know I'm going to get the best shot from my opponent, you know, like wh- the Yankees, uh, you know, when they were winning the world series every year, they would go on the road and get the biggest crowds and the hardest playing. I, I don't necessarily think that's best performance though. That's like, you're going to get the most passionate performance from your opponent. You're going to get the best like home run swing out of the gates from your opponent. Mm-hmm. But if you survive that shot, they're probably one counter sh- counter punch away from being knocked out, right? I mean, so I think it's a different performance that they get. Maybe it is more the, the opponent isn't really easing into the game. Maybe they're taking shots right out of the gates and whatnot. But I, I that on average that re- usually results in you you know just mauling them because they run out of gas real quick or they missed when they took the big swing, um, and then you put them away. But it is a different type of performance that they get for sure. Nat Burroughs, uh, now that Neil Brown finally got the P5 job he should have had a cycle or two ago, who is the next Neil Brown in the G5 that should get a P5 job on merit but doesn't for unknown reasons? Um, um, I picked this question because I don't have an immediate Well, I'm, I'm stuck in Mac mode, so two come to mind immediately, depending on who has the better year this year. Number one is Chris Creighton at EMU. I was going to say Candle. Well, Candle, I, I always struggle to evaluate – he inherited a good situation and he's kept it a good situation. And so that's like, I don't know if he's a master builder or not. I just know that he can maintain, which I mean, good for you. If you do that well enough, I mean, Chris Kleiman at, at Kansas, now at Kansas state, formerly of North Dakota state, he figured mm-hmm. out a way to, to take over an amazing situation and make it even better. Um, so candle, I struggle with just because, I mean, he might be just fine, but I know he inherited a lot. Uh, Chris Creighton inherited nothing at Eastern Michigan and has turned them into like three straight years. They've been an extremely competitive team. If they beat Illinois this year, that'll be three straight wins over big 10 teams for Eastern Michigan. Uh, whoever, whenever they signed up for those games, those big 10 teams were looking at that as a payout win. Uh, and now they've beaten Rutgers, which whatever, but then they beat Purdue last year. Um, so I, I, he's done an amazing job. They've, they have had a long run of, bad fortune in close games, which I can't decide if that's like a, a, th- a thing like where he's making the wrong decisions or if it's just bad luck. But, um, but he's the, the, the culture at, there, there is a culture for Eastern Michigan football now. And that's amazing to say, uh, the other one, of course, is Lance Leipold, um, just stripping that house down to the studs and then building something really, really impressive within just a couple of years. They're probably going to take a step back this year because their offense has to retool. Um, so maybe that means he stays around for a couple more years, but they should mm-hmm. be really good in 2020. Uh, and I would bet that if he's going to make a jump, he's only like what 54, I think something in that neighborhood. Uh, he, he could be a very prime candidate to make a jump after 2020, or if they're good this year, then definitely this year. Cause they shouldn't be good this year. Uh, a couple names I'll bring up, and they all have different circumstances. Um, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State mm-hmm. could have made a move. Um, he's 39 and 25 in five seasons. His wife is battling cancer right yeah. now, and yeah. I think that they're just sort of focused on that, yeah. obviously. obviously um, and, yeah. and if you follow that, it's it's just it's been hard to watch because I've met him a couple times. Great guy. And it's, uh, yeah, just your priority shift becomes an amazing. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it really is amazing compared to what we normally deal with. Um, uh, one that we, 
we we have to bring up because we're we're pushing an agenda here is um Ken Niamatanoa. Um he's at a G five. Uh, I mean he needs to he needs to bounce back now. <laughs> Um, but no, I think the body of his work speaks so far in advance of them having a bad year this season. I think he's one that, yeah, consistently is overlooked. And what, how many times are we going to, do we just do this once a month where we bring up the Arizona thing again? Like, right. I mean, and, and we do until Kevin Sumlin shows that he's got life out there. <laughs> um, right. It was a bad move and, and they flat out Oregon state and Arizona would be better right now with him right. as the head coach. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one that jumps uh, to mind. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, Seth Luttrell is close yeah, to that situation close this year, right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if – the thing with Luttrell was he made a really smart move, in my opinion, because right. he you – don't, you don't go half-ass going into a situation like K-State. And K-State did what K-State was going to do, and we talked about for years – is that Bill Snyder retired and they wanted to still have the sort of Bill Snyder fingerprint and control and the decision makers of the Bill Snyder era kind of lording over that next coach. And they didn't want it to be Sean Snyder, but they did want to maintain everything else. And and you got a coach who's a great coach. Um, it comes from a great program, no doubt. But I think um, Latrell wanted to be able to go in and do it his way as he deserved to do. Uh, you know, he's proven himself to be successful. So, I don't think that's going to stick on him necessarily. Um, I would think he gets a job after this cycle. I would, I would have a tough time yeah, thinking bet, that yeah. he wouldn't. Um, uh, you know, the other ones that come to mind where you just talk about guys who never did that jump or were just stuck. And I never really thought Neil was going to be stuck. He's too young to get stuck. Right. Like, exactly. Like I was never worried like his window was closing, but no, but I, I, I definitely remember when both Maryland and Minnesota had interest in Rick Stockstill and he stayed at middle Tennessee. Um, and then that's just sort of became his career. Uh, Matt Wells was one for a long time. It's just that they had that Valley at Utah right. state they, they at just a, the right they, time. They hit a dip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I think that's it. I feel like I'm leaving someone out, and I hope I'm not. It's just like an obvious candidate here. But I mean, if you just go through the the two, if you go through the Sun Belt, we just we just talked about the Mac, and and you hit yours. There isn't a Sun Belt coach that really fits that that resume right now. Give Billy Napier two years because he recruited, but he's gonna like, get a job, right? Well, he that's why I didn't like mention him. Mad at Louisiana Lafayette, like a level I didn't think was possible this year at Louisiana Lafayette, like top ten in in the G five recruiting class. So that's yeah, he's not gonna be long in Lafayette. No, Billy Napier is gonna be an SEC head coach in five years, <laughs> flat out. I, I mean, it. I'm sorry, I just, it, yeah. the the experience of recruiting. Well, first off, saving. Second off. You you went to the West Coast. You're a successful play caller. You come to a, a program in the shadow of a major SEC program. You're recruiting in the Southeast. He's from Georgia. Like, yeah, he's he's going to get an SEC job. Um, so I'm not worried about him at all. Yeah. Um, but he's not in this category yet because he's only been there one year. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I think he's going to be fine. It, it, it's a weird mix of guys like, um, where you get stuck and and the circumstances around. And Neil, you know, Neil was. Neil wanted Louisville. Right. And I don't think I'm telling tales out of class on that one. Neil wanted Louisville, and Louisville was too dumb to realize that just because a guy has Kentucky connections, <clears throat> Howard Schnellenberger, like, that doesn't mean he's unhirable. And they took a really silly out-of-context comment that Neil made when he was an assistant, and he was in a, a, a pool interview um, a long time ago about a freaking spring game at UK, as if it mattered. <laughs> 
Um, and I still don't understand that because Neil would have come in and owned Kentucky at an, just almost immediately. And that's no offense to what Mark Stoops has built over time, but what Mark Stoops has built over time at Kentucky is more about going into Southern Ohio and winning really good battles in Florida and spelling that with slowly fighting for the Commonwealth. Whereas like, I think Neil would have come in very aggressively and turned Louisville into more of Kentucky's program. I really, I, I don't know how short change Neil really got last year. Um, I think he wanted Louisville. He didn't get it. And it looked like it wasn't going to happen at all. So there you go. Yeah. Good question though. Yep. Um, here's one. Here's the Mizzou one I referenced earlier on Reddit. Um, our friends at uh, our friend B1G Tobacco is the Reddit name. Uh, reading Reddit names okay. is even more fun than reading the Twitter handles. Um, in cases like Mizzou's postseason ban, people say the NCAA is punishing the current players rather than the institution. So, how do we effectively punish the institution without punishing the players? Uh, every punitive action I can think of, short of a direct monetary fine on the school, would still affect players who didn't do anything wrong. And this is this is where I get stuck a lot, because um, basically the NCAA. You know, with with what they did in Missouri a couple of weeks ago now, like they hammered Yolanda Kumar, the the rogue tutor. They crushed her. She's never tutored her in ten years. <laughs> ten year, ten year show cause the Dave the the Dave Bliss uh, punishment. Um, so she like they they did they they found the specific uh, the the root cause and they nuked her. Like she's not she's not working for a university again. So technically they did that. Um, but yeah, basically anything else they were going to do since Missouri had already kind of rearranged the compl- some compliance issues and whatnot and, and cha- made some changes in that. I don't remember what, what changes they made, but I know they made a point to say that it made changes within their tutoring structure. So like technically that was it in terms of punishing the wrongdoers. But I, I also get that if you're the NCAA, you're like, that's not enough. Um, we got to do something else and anything else you're going to do is going to punish people who weren't, who weren't the players involved, who weren't the tutors involved. Anybody who knew about the, uh, knew about it at a time when it could have, when something could have been done about it is gone. Um, so anything else you do is going to punish players and coaches who had nothing to do with it. Um, but I mean, maybe, maybe it is a monetary fine. Maybe you just go that route. Um, with uh you know like what what they do at the at the pro levels and whatnot and basically say like the university of missouri has been fined x hundred thousand dollars and kumar is not allowed to be a tutor anymore at the end i don't know if that doesn't i understand if you don't think that feels like enough either it's just yeah now like you you have a bunch of players on campus who uh who are probably taking their courses correctly and getting tutored properly uh and they're going to get screwed because of something that happened four years ago and that's that's just weird and it doesn't feel right either i don't know what does feel right uh, two things real fast. One, let's put a pin in this because I'm working on something <laughs> for next week. And two, it's total horse shit. Big shock that I would say that. Um, yeah, I want to talk more about it, but I want to talk yeah. more about it when I get off the phone with some people who are trying to show emphatically how dumb a move it was by the NCAA to treat Missouri the way they did, who were literally by the letter of the bylaw as compliant as humanly possible in discovering <laughs> and self-reporting uh don't get me started don't get me started okay let's not get started um let's not get started um i got a couple uh, more on the uh, one reddit not gonna do the usc questions this week take a week off (laughs) god i love y'all but come on i don't know i don't know how much i can say yeah we do a usc question a week now here's a go irish roadie on reddit uh a scenario for both of you to play (laughs) around with uh this off season 
the Yukon, the Yukon Athletic Department has hired you to be consultants to help write the ship. Specifically, what recommendations would you make regarding Yukon football? There seem to be a few options. One, drop to FB, FCS like Idaho did a few years ago. Yes. Uh, two, go independent in football like UMass did a few years ago. Move all other no. sports to the Big East or another conference, A-10, no. America East, etc. Three, remain in the AAC but cut other varsity programs. UConn currently has 22. UConn has 22 varsity sports? That Damn, that's, a, that's almost Pac-12 level right there. Pac-12 is only Yeah, like but a lot of them could be super small, you know. Yeah, I guess. 22 is a that, that How many does Missouri have, actually? I'm going to look that up here in a second. Um, or four, drop football altogether because nobody cares about college football in New England. Keep in mind, UConn is likely stuck with Randy Edsel until the Bob Diaco, uh, $5 million, and Kevin Ollie, $10 million buyouts are fully paid in a few years. God, they paid, they, they paid Kevin Ollie a $10 million buyout? Um, also, is UConn a cautionary tale heading into the next round of conference realignment, i.e., don't spend money like you're going to the P5 only to be left out and stuck paying all the bills? Um, I mean, I can answer this pretty quick. Just go to the FCS. Eight, 16. Missouri has eight. Missouri is an SEC school has 18 sports. Um, yeah. I want to say that most of the SEC schools float in that area. I know Florida has some more because of like, I think they do more. Florida has a lot. Yeah. Swimming or volleyball, warm weather shit. Um, you dropped FCS. There's no reason that you should be at the FBS. If you're going to be, um, this cash pour this often and, and not be, not be committed to football. I don't understand what they're doing at all. Just drop to FCS. I bet Edsel would stay. Maybe again, swallowing, not, uh, swallowing coffee, not pausing for dramatic effect, but yeah, I think Edsel would stay totally. Oh, Florida um, only has 19. That's weird. I thought I was assuming they were about 22 too. Yeah. If you have more, if you have more sports than Florida, like, that is, it's not even that though. It's just that look, let's 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 sit down and be pragmatic. And not think about the one year that you went to the Fiesta Bowl because of a weird bowl contract. How much money are you gonna generate? How much attention can you give? What does the region look like? What would better serve athletics as a whole? These are just not questions that schools we normally talk about have to ask because we normally talk about places like Texas A&M where they're richer than four foot of a bull's ass. So, man, UConn has men's and women's tennis. Mizzou dropped tennis like or men's tennis like a long time ago. Rowing, Folks, we've lost him. Men's, we've men's officially lost him. Ice hockey. He uh, is down. Field hockey, hole. rowing. I mean, a lot of that's northeastern stuff. But uh, shout out man, by the way, oh, man, real fast. Oh, uh, it's the SEC HC. Which I, I don't even know how they skirt the SEC part of that, but um, <laughs> we had another rainy weekend here in Nashville, and so uh, I woke up, was checking Twitter, saw that the SECHC, which is basically the Southeastern Conference club hockey teams, <laughs> they were having the annual tournament mm-hmm. here in Nashville at the Predators practice facility, um, and I went on Sunday for the championship game and the 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 third place game. So the third place game was. Uh, Arkansas beat Auburn and the championship game was Georgia beating Ole Miss. And it was really fun. We had a really good time. And um, my kid got a hockey puck. So it was, he was stoked. Um, um, it was no, really I, cool. I, as far as UConn goes, like, yeah, dropping to FCS makes a lot of sense. I would say, I mean, like that 22 sports is a freaking lot though. It really is. Um, and, and if you wanted to, 
if you think I'm just not least... hung up on the number, I'm hung up the the number I'm hung up on is the consistent inability to generate revenue via football. Right. And they they're, they're and not I, recognizing that. And I understand too that like I mean it, it, football is like the whole the whole front door of your university thing. Like you don't want to drop football if you can at all stand it because but it's it, not if in you win. Connecticut. Sure. But I, I mean, I understand like if there's hesitance there, uh, like drop football or drop down a level. I, I get if you're hesitating in that regard, uh, like it's a sign of defeat or something. But if you are looking, I, I, I would hate to, to deny other schol- potential scholarship athletes an opportunity. But you, if you do have if you have four more sports or three more sports than Florida does, you might be overextending yourself in that regard. Um, SB Nation earlier today on Twitter, they had a, it's Valentine's Day, so they had a little uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Quote this with a sports poem, and we might retweet you thing. Uh, somebody hashed, uh, included the hashtag #SPAPN because this is really good. Um, at Matthew Gregory, um, roses are red, violets are blue. If you have facts about a violation, email compliance at oldmiss.edu. Oh, that's pretty good. That's very good. Um, all right, yep. I have. Uh, I, I, I know we're, we're at like 80 minutes here past 80 minutes. So, um, one more, Two one more. And this is a, this, I, you know, this is a, a little, a fun one to end on or hopefully a fun one to end on. Um, our friend at Tekany on Twitter at, uh, or sorry, Tekany is the handle at CFB manifesto. Um, why should I still follow college football if I'm not a Bama fan? I mean, come on. <laughs> Really? This is this is like wheelhouse stuff right here, so it's a good one to end on. But uh, this is you you because of the way the the back half of the 2018 season unfolded, you were the one who was proselytizing to me about this stuff. Um, because because it's not even about the championship. Because only four teams compete for the championship. Because it's the most interesting and diverse, bizarre, crooked, heartbreaking, <laughs> unjust, and simultaneously romantic sport in America. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, look, man, Bama just got punked. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on, man. He, he, An he ACC team just foot. drug Alabama around doing all the terrible Alabama things that Alabama did to everybody else. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a heavyweight. Uh, a heavyweight went in his second national title in two, three years. So it's not like it was um, – it was, it's not like it was Indiana doing that or anything. But – I don't know, man. I just um, – if you if you can't watch like a North Dakota State home game and hear the Fargo Dome and get fired up for that or, you know, I was – tweeting about the AAF thing with the <laughs> head coach of the of Georgia Southern because that's the team that I grew up rooting for about you know creek water and like just because man if you need it to is. ask I, well no I won't be that mean because I, I've been in those situations before where you just feel like it's so rote and the last season was challenging um I think last I, season was very much sort of the anti-2007 <laughs> right um and he put in in parentheses thanks uh, at edsbs. So Spencer might have said something on a on a full cast I haven't listened to yet, or or something else uh, recently about about this. But no, like co- you follow college football because of everything that isn't the national title game, because of all the depth. And uh, like this goes back to something I've said before. I still want to. I think I have a piece in me to write about this. But the the number of people it takes to put on a football game. Um, and the number of stories involved in getting the per- the coach to that sideline, getting the player to that field, like there is always, you will always find interesting 
stuff like that, you, the the tactical aspect of it. You can all like I I write 130 previews a, a, a year uh, because I like revisiting those little. Fa- they're like all family members now, um, and telling their story and and finding the weird things that they're doing or the unique things that they're doing. It's a really fun process. Last year was a massive challenge though, and I get it because I was I was telling you like oh this season doesn't suck, and then by the by mid to late November like man can we just can we just fast forward here and get on to the next season? Um, cause it did kind of, it was a grind, but, uh, but no, it's still college football. I think the title game needs a, a close, exciting game and not Alabama in it. And people will get back on board. I think it's those two things. They need not Alabama. Well, you settle for need... one for two. Well, the, I, I understand like you, you would say, well, okay, well, what about the Alabama Georgia title game? People are going to get pissed about the sec thing. And then people are tired of seeing Alabama. If it was if that exact game had gone down and it was Ohio State and uh, Oklahoma, I'm trying to remember the contenders from just two years ago. That's how tired I am. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a good list. That's a pretty reliable list right there. Yeah. Yeah. So if it was Ohio State and Oklahoma and it ended like that, and then you saw you know someone that wasn't Nick Saban in Alabama involved in either a close win or a close loss, I think people would have gone nuts for it. And, and they've just, they've lacked that for a while where you, you haven't had that Titan moment of, you know, the, the Vince young Rose bowl yeah. or, I mean, even Ohio state, Oregon was not a great game, but I, I can't really I think say they just need to be refreshed. A little I can't bit. even really say that I'm tired of Alabama necessarily. I, I just, I mean, I, I like more uncertainty for sure. But I mean, if if like Georgia and Clemson are playing in the national title game next year, that'll be big for Georgia fans. I realize, but like that's not really any different to me. Um, mm, to me, uh, like I understand others are different, but to me, it really isn't different because it's just it's the same recruit as many like field a team of twenty two blue chippers um, and do just enough different to to win. Like Ohio State's not even that different to me either. Oklahoma's at least got the whole <laughs> all offense, no defense thing to lean on a little bit, uh, which is different. But uh, there, there is kind of like just your your brute force building of a heavyweight at a blue blood program that's always been good or, or very good. Like that, those are all the same stories to me. So if I don't really care if it's Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State. They're all the same stories to me when I'm trying to write about them. Uh, it's kind of hard. So, um, so yeah, give me, give me a brand new power doing something completely different, uh, and I'll 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 eat that up. But it doesn't. How really close can we get next Alabama. year, real fast? Well, if we are including Oklahoma in the kind of the outliers camp, um, they at I this mean, point because they haven't been in the title game I, in a minute, I would say. Yeah, I mean, a team that's won like thirty-eight straight Big Twelve titles, I feel st- I, I I can't really consider them a true up and comer, but they are at least different. Um, yeah, but right now, what is the most interesting, unique, refreshing, but also logically sound on the information that we have at this moment? <laughs> title L- game that you can build for next year. LSU <laughs> and. Oklahoma, um, LSU is going to come into that game and get super conservative on offense. Oh you God, he's going to do that. Um, like, but you you look at the programs that have a reasonable shot at the national title game that are at least new. One of them, based on S and P plus projections, one of them is Florida, which doesn't exactly feel new either. Um, would certainly make some of our coworkers happy. There, there is. I mean, if if Texas A and M didn't play like the entire projected top ten, that could be interesting. Although if they win those games, then hell yeah, that's refreshing. I guess Penn State and Washington are always floating around. That'd be a little different, but they're probably neither of them is probably going to have all their ducks in a row next year. Yeah. So let um, me just cut you off. The answer to this question is Texas and Texas A and M in the title game. <laughs> 
Oh my Shit, God. fire, save, matches. Oh. That's our game. Done. Okay. Texas. We'll see it. I think no, Texas fans. It. We're done. Texas fans would now. make sure that I would not enjoy that all that much, but that would be amazing. Happy Valentine's Day, Texas. Texas A&M, 2020 National Championship game. Wow.